welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of Game Dev with a Shot of Jameson. My name is Jameson Doral, and I'm a game designer with 20 years of experience, and I like to help people learn more about video game development. Today we're joined by Mike Block. He's a hardware engineer at AMD Radeon Technologies Group. We discuss beginner information on blockchain and NFTs, how games are starting to get involved, and Mike even tells a personal Bitcoin horror story. Don't forget you can join the conversation live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. There's a link in the show notes if you want to come get your questions answered live next time. But for now, let's get this episode started. All right. You ready to get started? Yeah, man. I am equally excited and terrified about this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a uh, just such a big big topic right now and it's and it's an important yeah. one right like we're in such a weird space with it yeah yeah i mean i i guess i guess from the outset i want to establish two things one i am by no means an expert um really uh <clears throat> really all i've been doing is just you know just digging in uh from the perspective of learning more you know i mean nature of an engineer um, so I've definitely learned a lot along the way, but I am definitely not an expert in anything I say is constantly evolving. <laughs> um, and above everything, no matter what we talk about, never spend a single penny just because we talked about something without right. like digging into it and looking into it yourself. And the whole do your own research thing is the most important thing in this space. Um, really, if I, if I, my goal for anything, for anybody watching, is to give you some terms and some concepts to go Google and then start digging deeper yourself. Uh, that's definitely, the, I want to be that launch pad to just kind of help ease some of the big questions, the general questions, but then give you the seeds to just go start, you know, digging in and learning is really the goal. <laughs> right. As always, none of this is financial advice. There's no yeah. <laughs> nothing here that, that, that you can tie us to any bad decisions that are made. Uh, we're making the bad decisions too. Just say yeah, exactly. <laughs> so why don't we start with like, let's start at the very, very simple beginning of kind of what a blockchain is and like how, what the underlying architecture of, of these systems. Yeah. Um, so the easiest, well, I don't know, easiest, I'll, I'll use adjectives, but they, they mean nothing. <laughs> the, 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 the simplest form of it is the idea that a blockchain is intended to be a public ledger of account and transaction. Um, you know, I mean, these things are not new ledgers, logging transactions exist all over right. today's financial world. Um, the difference here is that this is publicly accessible and and once a transaction is locked in, it cannot be changed. It cannot be touched again. Um, and there's a history of it. Um, it's not necessarily tied directly to your name, but it's tied to your big, long, ugly hexadecimal address of your wallet. Um, so at the very, very high level, that's what blockchain is out to do, is to establish this public ledger of asset transactions um, and then what those assets are is the big difference that you hear all about this token, this coin, this, this, that. Um, and then it just gets 
messy from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my some of my basic uh, kind of adding on to what you're saying is the the basic premise for me is is a blockchain is every node that's on it carries the same information, right? So when we think about the internet, the internet is generally housed on servers, right? With the blockchain, mm-hmm. it's hosed, it's housed on all the individual people that are on that network, all the individual machines or whatever that are helping provide it. And they all contain the same exact information, right? Yes. And so yep. then whenever a change is made, like a legal change, I buy something, that information gets processed out to every every other node to, so basically every place is like, yep, 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 yep. This is good. It's a good thing. Go. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and then the area that where the security comes in, and this is the thing that when we people talk about how it's safe, it's secure, it's unhackable. What happens is if someone tries to get on one of these nodes and make a change, the rest of the network is like, nope, that's not something that we agree has happened. So we are now going to crush that and replace it back with what should be there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the next level then is and that's a that's actually a really good key point to backing up to that basis of the public ledger and whatnot. It's a it's a public ledger of gossip amongst computers. Um which <laughs> nice. has been one of one of my favorite analogies is this is nothing other than computers gossiping at incredible speeds. Um and that gossip is Jameson paid Mike $10. Did you hear that? And then someone will be like, I didn't hear that, but sure, Jameson paid Mike $10 and it keeps propagating out the network um, until there is this I, this concept of consensus reached. And that consensus is when the majority of the network says, yep, uh, we agree, Jameson paid Mike $10, it must have happened. And it kind of reaches consensus and, and closes down. And the reason that's important is because to create that false transaction that you referenced to, um, this, this is commonly referred to as the, as a 51% attack. Um, and there's different ways this attack can manifest. 51%, um, is, is particularly, uh, interesting in the proof of work algorithm, which we can get into. Um, <clears throat> but a 51% attack means somebody through one way or another controls 51% of the network. And therefore amongst their 51% of nodes that they control, they got each of those nodes to gossip. Mike actually paid Jameson ten dollars uh, when when it when it went the other way around, and um, then the rest, the other forty nine percent of the network, say, "Well, fifty one percent said it happened, so it must have been good." Um, and so, with that idea in mind, you can start to see how incredibly difficult it is to hack something like Bitcoin or Ethereum, where you have thirty three thousand nodes. You have this insane amount of work being done on the network. Um, when China shut down Bitcoin mining recently, it was like some, I want I mean, you can look up the data specifically, but I want to say it was like around 44% of the network uh, dropped as far as not value or anything like that, but the amount of work being done on the network. So in a, an entire country worth of engagement and people mining was still only like 44% of the network. Um, and this applies to other algorithms as well. Proof of stake, where instead of, you know, computers and miners, you're dealing with bags of money, but still the point is these networks get so big that it becomes infeasible for, you know, even countries, entire countries to hack the network and create false transactions. And that was what, that's what we mean by hack is create false ledger transactions. 
Um, your things like your wallet, like, I mean, don't think like, Hey, this is fine. It's safe. Everything's safe. Like you can still be fished. You can still like, you know, someone's not going to reach into your wallet and take your money out, but, um, there's still all of those risks that exist everywhere as far as phishing attacks, uh, social engineering and whatnot. Yeah. I want to talk about the wallet aspect a little bit, because I think that's something that a lot of people that are new to it won't understand. And, um, like at a basic level, the way I understand it is, well, first of all, you can have multiple wallets, right? Like you don't have to have one individual wallet. A wallet is basically just a hexadecimal key. Like you mentioned that reference, like that references it, right? You can, and there are places where you can attach your name and information to that. But generally that's just a thing you have access to. And anything else out in the world just knows that number is, is what holds or has made a transaction, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, really I'm a huge fan of me personally, the way I learn analogies, visualizations. Um, so your wallet is really equatable to like your PayPal account, your address for your crypto wallet is like your email. Since that's, if I want to send you money, I send it to blah, 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 at gmail.com or whatever. And that routes to your PayPal. Um, <clears throat> so it's a lot like that. The main difference is then that PayPal can have multiple accounts in it. Like, I mean, you could have, this is my Bitcoin wallet. This is my Ethereum wallet. There's every coin and token has its own wallet. Um, but it's all wrapped up in a lot of these wallets that are online or, you know, available. It's all one point of entry. And then you just have folders, you know, within that, that that's where that money goes. Um, the only wallets that are purely dedicated would be um, if you actually had what's called a core wallet or you're running one of those nodes. Uh, a lot of times in the smaller networks, uh, Ethereum, Bitcoin aren't that way anymore. But in the very beginning, Bitcoin was like, well, we need people to run nodes. So let's attach the core wallet to the node software. So that way, when you open up your wallet, you're also acting as a, as a node provider on the network. Um, so when that's you, when still you say node, though, j- just so we clarify, when you say node, that's a point that contains the same information as everything else, right? So, yeah, exactly. so what you're saying at this point is in order to have that wallet, you had to also become a partner in in that blockchain and, and have that data yeah. on the local machine. Yeah, and before you could participate from that wallet, you had to sync the entire blockchain up to that point. Um, yeah. And, I mean, it gets bigger and bigger over time. I mean, back then... 2009, 2010, it was probably 500, 700 megabytes. I mean, it's, and I don't even know what it is today, um, but you had to wait. And and that's still a common thing today. Like Ravencoin is, an, is one that you would download the node and you have to sync the blockchain until you get up to present day gossip before you can actually do anything. And that's just to make sure that you're sending information nobody knows about. Like if if you just open it up and you didn't sync to present day, you'd be like, catching up and telling the network, Hey, did you know? And everybody's like, yeah, that's old news. Like catch up. Like we, we did that. Um, so, but those wallets, I mean, like, especially in the context of what we're talking about when we get into gaming and NFTs and things like that, you're not going to run those wallets. You're going to run the more run of the mill PayPal, uh, equivalent type of wallets. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's an important bit to understand too, is we're now at the phase where things are becoming more consumer friendly, right? So before even I I did some uh, Dogecoin mining like six months ago or something, and 
it was like a 35 gig node download that I had to do in order to, to do that. And I was just like, and it took like three days and then I made yeah. like 30 cents or something over a week of doing it. So it was, it was just like, <laughs> it was a, it was a bad experiment. I, what I, the heck? The internet told me this was, this right. was money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was not worth it. We'll get into the more, the more proper ways to do that. My first attempt was, was a fail. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, I, at the same time, that's the, to me, that's the spirit of this whole thing. Yeah. Um, is obviously always stay within your own personal, uh, risk tolerance. Um, always do everything you can to protect yourself. Um, and if you're not sure you can clear those bars, don't touch it. But if you, if you feel like, you know, you're, you're up to it, uh, I mean, you know, getting hands-on is, is in my mind, the best way to, to learn. Um, and then the best strategy is getting hands-on in unacceptable lost ways of, you know, when I first right. started and even some transactions I make to this day, it's, yep, I'm going to try this and I may never see that money again. It's Okay. I've, I've, you know, this is the cost of learning. And so I'm not doing like giant bags of money and just going, this is the thing, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all a learning process. And sometimes along the way it works out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I think the next big thing for us to talk about is what is mining? Like when people say, yeah. oh, I got a Bitcoin or I, you know, like, what does that actually mean? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so the the simplest way, so yeah, this is specifically mining and we'll keep it even more simple and just stick to this thing called proof of work. And so consensus algorithm is the the more proper category of what we're getting into. And so I'm, I'm highlighting that as, you know, your Google Foo consensus algorithms, you'll see a few big ones, proof of work, proof of stake. Um, and then, you know, the list goes on. So proof of work, it's important to focus on simply because that's where everything started. Bitcoin started and still is proof of work. Ethereum picked up um, what Bitcoin started as proof of work, except they wanted to add in more utility. Um, we'll get to that in a second. So proof of work, what is mining? Mining is basically, <clears throat> so we have the concept of the network, the nodes, the gossip, all that good stuff. But before we get to that stage, we have to pack a box. Um, and so, you know, picture it as a block. Again, as an analogy, I like the idea of the post office and Bitcoin's a little simpler to focus on. So we'll just stick to Bitcoin. Uh, picture a block on Bitcoin is a one size. If it fits, it ships from the post office, uh, from the postal service. Uh, and me sending Jameson Bitcoin money over the network uses up one of, we'll just say 256 slots in this box. Um, so we, we slip ours in the box is open and we're just filling the box. Um, and so that box is being filled with that gossip of, did you hear such and such paid such and such? Um, <clears throat> and it's going into the box and then eventually the box fills up. So we close it and then, there's this thing called a uh, called a hash and it's based on SHA-256. So Google key SHA-256 is a encryption crypt, uh, cryptology algorithm that no matter what, uh, you know, just picture it as, as an algorithm that no matter what you give it, you give it a string of text and it will spit out something completely random in 256 bits. 
ones and zeros, 256 of them. If you put the same thing in, it will always spit out the same thing, but it's gibberish. It's meant to be unhackable. Like if you put the number one in, you get some gibberish. You put the number two in, you get completely different gibberish. Mm. If you put one space two, completely different gibberish. Like there's no way to logically backwards reverse engineer what the algorithm's doing to mix everything up. So when the box is packaged, it needs to be signed and it's signed with a hash. And so the whole point of this is you take the box of data. So it's just a big long string of ones and zeros at the end of the day. Um, and you need to run it through the SHA-256 algorithm such that we'll say the first five digits are a zero. Um, that five digits changes because that changes the difficulty. If it's, if it's just one zero, that's easier. That might get hit one every thousand times or mm -hmm. something like that of probability, then the network needs to be reliable and consistent in how it releases Bitcoin. So you change that difficulty, but nonetheless, five zeros. So I put in one, two, three, that didn't do it. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, et cetera, et cetera. My computer says, ah, I did it. It's one, two, three, four, five, six. I got five zeros at the beginning. And then you send that off. And then the network starts gossiping. Hey, Mike thinks he found the the answer. He says it's one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, SHA-256 runs in an instant. So then the network starts checking what I proposed as the answer. They all start running it. They go, yep, he's right. Son of a gun. Um, and then once <laughs> knew? that hits that, yeah, <laughs> one, two, three, five, six. No. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> once that hits 51% consensus, it gets locked in. All the transactions get locked in it. And I get rewarded uh, X amount of Bitcoin for being the one that found that solution. Um, that's the, the most nuts and bolts, bare bones version of thinking of it. Now, obviously you have 50, 60, hundred thousand people running these miners and things like that. The odds of me personally stumbling across that solution are just astronomical. I think if you wanted to solo mine Bitcoin, you're probably looking at finding a block with average uh, hardware. And at this point for Bitcoin, we're not even talking about PC hardware. It's ASIC miners, maybe once every four years or something oh, wow. like that. Um, so without spending a ton of money on more and more ASIC miners. So there's things called pools and the pools are just a bunch of people pooled together where every answer I think is, could be correct. I send it to the pool so now we have this pool of just tons of answers coming in. So collectively, we represent a much higher probability of getting the right answer. Then when we find the right answer, the reward for finding that answer gets portioned out proportionally to how much we contributed to the pool, how, much, how many possible answers we contributed to the pool. Um, and so then instead of getting paid the full reward, which Bitcoin, I think, think you'd have to double check, but I think the full reward of finding a block of Bitcoin, that's called finding a block when you find that answer that signs and seals the, the block. It's either four or six Bitcoin right now. Four um, or six? Way back. Yeah. Four so it's, or so six. it's not a four single Bitcoin. Seven. Like So so, so just, no, so, just so I'm understanding. Yeah. So whenever that solution happens, whether it's by a pool or by an individual person, the reward is not just one Bitcoin. It's, it's, a, it's a number of Bitcoin. Yes. That's and okay. I didn't know that. That's wild. Yeah. And it's a decreasing number. And 
with a war story to go along with it. I was first involved in Bitcoin way back in 2009, 2010. What? Um, probably 10 <laughs> or 11. So the beginning. Um, and the reward back then was 50 Bitcoin Ugh. for finding a block. <laughs> 50? 50 Bitcoin. Uh, and now they're sitting at 50 grand each. So <laughs> ish, right? Like um, that's, that's wild. Yeah. And so there's, and again, this is what Google research will just the whole big rabbit hole. But the reason it decreases and the difficulty increases is because there is a preset determined amount of time that says the full supply of Bitcoin must take, let's just call it 25 years to filter out uh. and fully, fully mint. Um, obviously, as more people get on the network, you don't want it to start printing money. Uh, even faster, you need to control inflation. And so that the two levers of control are predetermined halvenings when it gets cut in half, the, the reward always gets cut in half. Mm. Um, and then raising the difficulty to say, hey, we're not ready to have yet. It's already predetermined at exactly which block numbers rewards will get cut in half. Um, and so the the overall algorithm says we're not ready to cut in half, but we're also getting a big influx of users mining. So we need to increase the difficulty. And that's where we go from five zeros to say, nope, now we need six zeros. And that takes that's longer to figure out. Exponential um, difference too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but there's there's a lot of fun uh, SHA-256 websites out there that you can you know punch in a string of text and see the output. Um, and hey, I mean, if you... If you crack that that algorithm, I mean, there's probably billions of dollars waiting for you. Like nobody, <laughs> <laughs> entire mega server farms uh, have not been. Nobody's been able to hack it, um, at least that we know of. Right. Um, so I want to so I want to clarify not, one thing real quick. So when a blockchain is developed, let's say when Bitcoin was initially developed, there was already known how many Bitcoin was on the chain. Right. It's just a matter of how they're found, how many you get when you find one. And that, that yeah. essentially that disbursement was created because you said like a, say it's a 25 year lifespan before they want all of it to come out. Right. But they know how many there are. They just, we don't know how we need to find the calculations to unearth them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, and even, I mean, building on that analogy, like, I mean, just picture from the beginning of time, uh, again, you could find the exact number. We'll just say 1 billion, Bitcoin blocks. It was always known that this chain to completion will be 1 billion blocks. And therefore we know every block, how many Bitcoin are bootstrapped to that block to say, as soon as you get to this block, here's what your reward's going to be. Um, that's all fixed. And then it's just pulling that lever of difficulty to, to be the gas pedal of the car to, to get there or slow down. Um, is that and lever done automatically or is someone, you know, doing that behind the scenes? That's all automatically. Um, I, mean, I figured so, but. <laughs> well, yeah, one of the one of the big things in, in any cryptocurrency, crypto project, um, decentralized finance topics, when you really start getting down the rabbit hole, everything is done algorithmically in some just bonkers ways um that you know i mean 
it's like I, this, I guess maybe why I'm partly why I'm so drawn to at least learning about it is it's like, this is what a financial system looks like when you just give it to engineers and say, build a financial system. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and that's, what's really fascinating to me is just the ingenuity uh, that goes into all of this. Yeah. And it's, it's wild to me. So, so you said this around 2011, I just looked this up and in 2011, Bitcoin was worth 30 cents, right? A bit, a bit, a Bitcoin is worth 30 cents. So now I want to know how many did you have? Oh man. Yeah. So we're getting into this. (laughs) I mean, like, because this is like, so the reason I want to bring, I bring it up, right. Is because first of all, especially at that point, there's no way anyone could have known. And we're going to talk about perceived value. Right. But yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But there's no way anyone would have thought that something worth 30 cents was going to be worth $60,000. Right. Like, oh, yeah. it's not I, even absolutely. fathomable. And I know a buddy yeah. of mine, uh, he said once he went to a, um, someone was doing a demonstration about crypto and they gave everyone a free Bitcoin for showing up and it cost them like five bucks each. Right. Like it was nothing at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so what, what's your horror story? Like what, uh, how rich should you uh, be right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, I mean, it's definitely more my brother's horror story than mine. I was just, I was there to witness the carnage. Um, so he, he was the one that discovered Bitcoin, uh, discovered it through, um, what was it? Slash dot, um, way back in the, in the, in the days of the in, young internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I saw it on Slashdot. Was like, hey, this is a this is a crazy concept. Um, <laughs> explained it to me no less than ten times, and I was like, like the the first all ten times he explained it, I was like, man, I don't know what you're talking about, but this sounds like some shady stuff, like, right? Uh, <laughs> what? What? And people buy the what? What are you talking about? Um, but you know, we he forged ahead and, you know, put together a mining rig. Um, if anybody's ever heard anything about mining or done any mining themselves, heat is the byproduct. Um, and at one point he had, I don't know, I think it was four, four graphics cards mining, maybe may have been up to six, but it was probably four. Um, and it was a furnace. Like it, it heated his basement like no computer fan in the world was enough to circulate the air. So he just opened the case, flopped it on its side, big box fan, like evacuate the air. Um, and so through it all, he had a, he had a, he had figured out that I think it was around. So the cost of electricity is very much a real thing and was especially a real thing back then when you're talking about such low value coins, um, which is still a thing today. If you try to mine, your Doge coins or, you know, mine new coins today that have very low value. Right. Um, so he had calculated it out that somewhere around $4, four or $5 was his break even. So given the reward I get, and, and even back then solo mining just wasn't really profitable. You, uh, they started pools. He was there for the creation of pools and was like, Oh, this is, this works better. Like, yeah, this makes more sense. I'll just get a portion of the reward instead of waiting to get the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> so had that gone and would watch, we would watch the price. We all watched the price. Um, all, all my brothers and I would watch the price. And then around that four or $5, just shut the whole thing down. 
um, and wait until price came back up. Um, wait now, hold on. What do you so, mean shut the whole thing down? What? The the miner. So so what? stop mining and using electricity. Oh, if I see the coins you're generating are worth less than the electricity you're I burning. I see. Okay. Um, so you're talking about the price going that, down. When it goes down, you yeah, would drop it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously two schools of thought on that is, are, you know, hodlers weren't a thing back then, but if you're a hodler, like you don't care. Like, I don't care if this is, if the electricity is costing more than what I'm earning, I want to keep piling this stuff on because I believe yeah. the moon is coming. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> but you know, we, this was so new, so wild, like we kept it above board of like, nope, just protect the investment and the cost and all this kind of stuff. So he did that for a while. Um, and then the price started skyrocketing. Um, you know, it, it would run up to three, four, five hundred dollars Um, and then there was a particular crunch, I want to say 2013 ish, um, where it started really, uh, really running up. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, did it moon. All right. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it ran up to like eight or $900. And so, I, I should, I should have pulled it up, but I, I just the other day, cause, um, over on my brother and I's channel that we have, uh, we were going through a crypto series. And so we brought this story up and I found the Google Hangouts chat thread that I had with him in 2013, oh, 2012, man. 2013 of, you know, prices way up. And he was like, I think I'm going to sell. I think it's time. Uh, at that point we had 14 and some change, 14 point something Bitcoin. Um, and that's shared amongst you? Like, was it, or was this his? Uh, we, hadn't, we hadn't gotten to that. I mean, it was his. Okay. We hadn't gotten to any sort of share. I mean, he was, the elect he was providing electricity. We were basically, my other brother and I, we were basically moral support. So gotcha, it was definitely gotcha. his. Um, <clears throat> and he was like, I think it's time to sell. And like, I mean, at the time, we were also playing around with the idea of like our own little startup company or something. So it was potentially maybe going to be some seed money or mm. something like that. Um, and so he's like, I think I'm going to sell. And <laughs> there's, there's one line in the chat that I was like, should we do all of it? Or right. <laughs> should yeah. We, <laughs> should we just like cash out, but then, you know, just keep one just to see where things go. Um, and so the answer was all of it. And Oof. it was sold to an online exchange uh, known as Mount Gox, which is now your next, put it on your Google list. Um, Mount Gox. Um, Mount Gox? Yeah, M-T-G-O-X. Um, they were basically the only place, well, not the only, but they were the pioneers. They were the original exchange to transfer Bitcoin into U.S. dollars or vice versa. Um and in this price surge, they just got crushed. And there was also, it's a very interesting story, but absolutely worth reading up on. Uh, it was, I think it was a combination of them getting crushed as well as they had also been hacked back in 2011. And so the rumor goes that they were falsely portraying how much Bitcoin they had in their bags because they were, they had gotten kind of carved out by this hack that happened earlier and so now all of these people come flooding in and it's a run on the bank and the bank actually doesn't have the money it needs. Mm. And mm. the website is not designed for the traffic it's getting. 
And when you send a transaction in crypto, like, I mean, it's, there's nobody watching that. That is a direct transaction. If, if, right. the, if the person you're sending it to is not listening, your wallet says, I, I don't have it anymore. I sent it to you. And then if the listener isn't there, you know, they, they, I don't see that. You never sent me anything and it kind of just disappears. Um, that is so, wild to me. <laughs> all, all 14 Bitcoin disappeared. No, they did um, not. No, they, did not. <laughs> they, they did. So you didn't um, get anything power, out of the 14. We got zip. Uh, so in that whole <laughs> oh, entire no. endeavor, all my brother got out of it was a subscription to a VPN service that he paid one Bitcoin for. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Uh, and he, he paid that to watch the Olympics. So that must have been a hell of an Olympics year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to hmm. now in hindsight pay fifty five thousand dollars for one year of a VPN service. Dude. Um, <laughs> and but, that's just now, right? This thing has the potential to yeah. just keep rising, right? And yeah, yeah. Uh, and the crazy thing is the drama's not over. Um so backing up a little bit about Mount Gox, because it's an interesting origin story. Obviously, Magic the Gathering, I mean, it's still big, but back then, like, that was the thing. Um, and so the guy that created Mount Gox created it to be an online web store for trading and valuing oh. Magic the Gathering cards. Okay. And so MTGOX was actually Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. Ah, okay. Um, and so he tried that. Did it for a while. It just wasn't clicking. It wasn't taking off. And Bitcoin starts rising. And he was like, you know what? I had the idea, the infrastructure in my head for an exchange. And all these people are collecting Bitcoin and they have nowhere to exchange it. Like I could be that, I could be that exchange point. Um, and so then from there it was born. Um, but now fast forward and... I don't understand the reason why exactly, but I suspect it's because Mt. Gox wants to return to the exchange trading space. I have no idea why you would keep that name. Um, you know, it's like the airline that became Airtran after the Everglades <laughs> crashed. <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the next day they were like, nope, we're not that airline anymore. We've completely changed name. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, it appeared, and I mean, maybe because... They were the originator, whatever. Maybe there is, they still think there's some value to that. But nonetheless, they are going through um, legislation or some regulation in Japan where they were based um, to actually pay back because over the years they have actually been able to recover some of what was stolen. Well, um, and it's again, fascinating story. Don't wait for the movie. Just go <laughs> check out Wikipedia or something. There is going to be um, a Bitcoin movie, isn't there? If there isn't already, oh, right? Like, <laughs> there has to be. And I'm going to fast forward these scenes. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they are, for whatever reasons, they are trying to return, and they have been court-ordered to repay uh, something like either $1 or $2 billion worth of Bitcoin um, because now this is kind of where the public ledger comes in handy. So they opened up a, a claims uh, service as part of this mandated um, uh, payback. And they can verify if you claim, hey, I lost money to you. 
they can verify it. You can they can say show us proof of your wallet that you sent it from on your computer, which would be your address. You know, right. that's that's all still there. They can go on the blockchain. Now back in history, you can pull up every block that's ever been minted since the beginning of the project. And they can look up and say, okay, you know, here's your address. Here's where it, the blockchain confirms you sent it. Mm -hmm. And now we never see confirmation of receipt. Yep. You're validated. You are officially covered under this claim. Um, so technically we think my brother is included. Oh, uh, I think he was, I think he was technically late on his filing. He at least got confirmation from them that they said, yep, we can confirm you are who you are, and you lost what you lost, but he you know, doesn't have any follow-up. Wait, so uh, you're saying there's a chance he could get these, what was it, 14, 12 Bitcoin back or the value of them? Probably the value of them at the time. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so like 10 grand. Highly, Still, though. <laughs> no, highly, <laughs> highly not, not, not likely to say, oh, yeah, sure, here's 14 Bitcoin. <laughs> like, so so to be I, clear, that though, that sending it out into the ether, right? Like you send it to an address that doesn't exist. It's, is it really just gone? Like there's no way to undo that. Or does a wallet, what if a wallet ever got created that had that address? Um, so as far as I know there, I mean, there is no way to undo it. Um, you can't cancel the transaction. I mean, there are ways now, like in, in modern times, like Coinbase or something like that, you go to send something before it touches the blockchain, it gets queued up to be sent to the blockchain. You can cancel there, mm. uh, you know, and say, whoops, wait, I want to make it more or less, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but um, the, my, a wallet, as far as I know, cannot be created, like uh, the way the wallet addresses are created is uniquified in that there just won't whether the it's odds are like design or by <laughs> statistics that the odds are one in 15 million gazillion quadrillion whatever yeah um but because i mean the wallet addresses are you know essentially you know as unique as as an nft or something yeah. like that so I learned um, something recently that blew my mind, and this is to give some perspective in this case. Did you know that when a deck of cards, 52 cards, is shuffled, it is almost 100% likely that that shuffling, that, that order of cards has never happened before? Because you've got, you've got 52 that. to the 52nd power, right? If I'm If I'm saying that right, because... Each of those cards yeah. has 52 potential uh, possibilities. So like, like the yeah. amounts is like the number of possibilities is so astronomical that it's, it's almost 100% certainty to say no one has ever shuffled a deck that way. So, and, and so with this, de with this wallet ID, that's what, like probably 30 characters or something, uh, and that's numbers and hexadecimal, right? So... We're talking yeah. about, you know, that many things with what, like, uh, 40, 40 or 50 combinations uh, each, each spot. Yeah. If it's, if it's, if it's 32 digits, then a, and each digit can be 16 in hexadecimal can be 16 different characters. So yeah, you'd have 32 to the 16, um, or 32 combinatorial 16, 
Uh, but where's my carrot? A lot. It's it's going to tell you that it can't calculate that number of possibilities, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you can't you can't comprehend that number, right? I guess is kind of what I mean. So so it makes yeah, sense okay. that a, a wallet 30, would never okay. happen. Thirty-two to the sixteen. Um, I don't know. I I don't know all of my uh, my decimal things, but okay, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 29 nope sorry 32 digits yeah 32 there are 32 digits, digits. there are yeah it ends up being a number that is 32 digits long uh so whatever that quizzin <laughs> yeah <laughs> add, string string some mutters together and add with illion right yeah <laughs> I think I think fuck ton comes in there somewhere too. I'm just not saying like Fucktonillion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so that that is a part of this that is wild to me. And and one of the places we'll we'll get into this a little bit, I'm sure, but the the wallet and the whole process of owning crypto and 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 what you do with it and how you move it and and how the wallets work is is it's scary a little bit, right? Because this is something that's just now starting to get into the mainstream a little bit where you've got, now we've got things like Coinbase where you can log into Coinbase and be like, Hey, I want to buy some Bitcoin. How much do you want to spend? I want to spend $200 and that's going to be like a $2 fee, right? Just roughly speaking. Now I have a hundred and I have this percentage of a Bitcoin, you know, that, that is now mine. And it's essentially just like a stock, right? Like they've, they've kind of built it in a way that people understand it is like I'm buying stock. So you can do that, yep. right? Yeah. Like that, that, that is now consumer facing. You don't have to ever think about mining, any of that stuff, right? So you can, there, yeah. it's now a little more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to me, the best analogy of, because obviously everybody sees headlines, see the news that there are, coins everywhere that you just see this coin that coin this token that token right um definitely i would encourage to start to frame it in the concept of stocks like you said um at the very very high level each of these coins and i'm and i'm just speaking super general so we're getting high above the shit coins high above the meme coins uh high above meme coins trying to turn themselves legitimate I'm looking at you sheeb uh, but, <laughs> hey, I hope it does. Um, I'm sitting with with quite a few of those. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I am I am very optimistic that they might do it. They they put a massive mountain in front of them, but they are doing the right things uh, to make it happen. I mean, tying it to gaming, bringing in uh, I think it was an Activision, an old Activision um, director or something like that. Like, I mean, they're they're pivoting. Um, <clears throat> But nonetheless, so high above that picture that all of these coins are being created to serve a process, to serve a function, to serve a purpose, to serve a utility. Um, and it is no different than a stock in the stock market. Every stock in the stock market serves to represent a company behind it that is doing something, producing something, uh, and that is, and the stock is just one way to invest and put value into that company. Um, and we're definitely at a point where that, that is, that is crypto. Um, 
we're also at such an early phase of it that there's a lot of trash out there that mm. it's going to take years before it gets mainstream enough that the trash can't even rise above into the noise and it just can't survive anymore. Um, but that's not to say that you can't figure it out. And that's why, you know, going back to the, just take small bites, just a month of nothing but learning, like in, in a month of like, I mean, just constantly digging and learning and, and eventually you start to get a sense. You'll never know a hundred percent whether something is, a complete scam or not, but you start to see the pattern of how scams present themselves yeah. um, and where the good things are, where the, I don't even want to say good, but where the foundational things are, the, whether or not this company succeeds, that's always an unknown, but they're at least legitimately trying to do something and I understand what they're trying to do and I believe in it or yeah. whatever. And then you can start going from there. Yeah. And you know, I, I want us to move I, I, here. I want us to hear pretty soon for us to move more toward the NFT side of things, but I want to make sure that, that we understand a couple of other things, right? Which is each of these coins that, that comes out like Dogecoin, SafeMoon, whatever these are, they're a new blockchain, right? That that's a, it's a new set of things that are ha a new decentralized network or sometimes centralized, I guess, but that, so for instance, let's say, let's talk about SHIB quickly, where we say there's, there's a new blockchain that SHIB exists within, right? But it's a, it's a subset of Ethereum or is that one a Bitcoin one? That's, that's one thing I don't um, quite understand is like when a, when a, you know, a new coin comes up, is it built inside of another blockchain or does it create its whole new blockchain in order for it to exist within? Um, yeah, so that is definitely one of the more confusing aspects but also one of the critical in getting a better understanding of what people are trying to do in the industry so shib is ethereum based um and it is a token so you'll you'll frequently hear coins and tokens a coin means that it is a native currency of the underlying foundation network um and so since shib is a token on Ethereum, um, SHIB has its own blockchain for transactions and building smart contracts. Like how, like I, I said, they're trying to pivot to be an actual utility in the gaming space. Um, <clears throat> so they have their own ledger. Let's just call it a ledger. They keep, they keep their own ledger, but they take big, big snapshots of their ledger because their ledger runs way faster than the Ethereum ledger runs. Um, and that's just to say at a very high level, the Ethereum network can handle 13 transactions per second. Make a mental note. I'm sure we're going to come back to that where I know we're going to go in conversation. <laughs> um, the, the SHIB ledger can do, I honestly don't know exactly what the number is, but we'll easily call it a thousand transactions per second. It's probably way higher. Um, and so the speed of Ethereum is a huge problem and a huge issue on Ethereum. So all of these tokens keep devise their own ledger keeping mechanics. And then at every, we'll just say once a minute, they'll take a big zoomed out snapshot of everything that happened on their ledger and then submit that as like one big picture onto the Ethereum network. Um, and so then the, the value of that is they didn't have to build out the mining infrastructure. 
or that main, uh, the main value network that Ethereum is. Um, and the one critical differentiator is Bitcoin will never have any of that. Nothing will ever be based on Bitcoin. There are no tokenomics on Bitcoin. Oh, okay. Bitcoin was, was always designed to be one value, just a value. It's, it's whole purpose is to be, um, a, a, an, a value of, or a, a proof of value or that it is the digital equivalence of gold. Um, and it does not support smart contracts are the big, the big buzzword as to what that, what that means. So Bitcoin is just purely a money transaction. And so Bitcoin actually runs slower than Ethereum. It runs about seven transactions per second. Oh, um, but it doesn't have the insane gas fees, um, noted right (laughs) ethereum has um and that's because bitcoin doesn't have all of these tokens piling on its back uh basically every in that usps if it fits it ships everybody has the same size slot when you introduce this idea of smart contracts uh the idea that i'm doing more than just sending a dollar value back and forth i'm packing in this nft or i'm doing this whole if this happens, then trigger this transaction, the smart contract that will step through when things trigger it. That takes a variable amount of size. Um, and so everybody's fighting for that space in the Ethereum blockchain. Um, so Bitcoin will never have any tokens on it. The Bitcoin community has shown zero interest in shifting to anything that does support smart contracts. So likely never to happen. Um, but that's, I guess, at the at a high level and bit verbose um, kind of, uh, I think answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. I, <laughs> so, so as we move into talking about NFTs in general, right? So tell us how, like how, how does an NFT fit? Like what, what's kind of the, what is an NFT? What does it mean to blockchains? Like how, how does it just basically work? Well, I'll take my fourth um, shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at a very simple level, and this is also, if this sounds like a fault, it definitely is a fault of the current implementation of NFTs. But at a very simple level, an NFT can just be thought of as a certificate of ownership. Um, so in some cases, you might think of it as like a DRM key, you know, like when you buy an, uh, a movie online, um, you know, you have a key that unlocks that thing and, and says that you own that movie. Um, so currently when you picture an NFT, just picture a certificate, the thing you own isn't even on that certificate. Enter one of the massive faults of it. Currently, it's not a fault of NFT at large. It's just a growing pain, not even pain. It's just a growing process of how to best to implement this. And I'll elaborate that on in a second, but it's basically a certificate that says I own that thing and it points. So on that certificate, it says this thing lives on that web server. If it's a picture, if it's a GIF, it's whatever it is, it's a certificate that points to it and says, I'm, this is unique and I'm the only one that can claim ownership of it. Anyone obviously can right click, download, save as whatever. Um, but they don't have the one and only unique certificate that says 
that's mine. Um, so then backing up to that fault, it sure would feel a lot more like ownership if when you had that certificate, you had the thing to go with it, the, you know, the file of the picture or mm. the GIF or whatever. Um, and there are probably some implementations that do that, but do in large, um, what I'm getting at is the, the picture that that NFT claims you own is really hosted on somebody's web server somewhere. And if that server ever went offline, you now have a certificate and you can't point to it. Um, so, but so, so basically when we're talking about the blockchain, all of those nodes know your ownership of this, right? Yes. So, yeah, exactly. so there's, there's nothing. So even if like everyone agrees that you own this thing, no matter what anyone else says, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's basically a proof of rarity. Um, and it, it creates rarity and scarcity uh, in a world where obviously we have never had that. We have never had digital rarity. Yeah. We've never had digital scarcity uh, because of control C. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, and so control C, control V will always exist. Um, and that's why this is, this is such a big concept that it's going to take some iterations before an industry gets something fully right. The concept is, I think, spot on. We are constantly moving to a more digital society. I mean, when's the last time you touched cash with your hands? Or gave a cashier cash. I rarely um, do it. Very rare we're, now. We're probably not too far away from having to explain to kids why they're called cashiers. Right. <laughs> As we are like explaining to them what the save button is in software. Yep. Like, oh, that's a that's a disc. <laughs> There's so much of uh, that. <laughs> uh so the concept of bringing scarcity, bringing rarity, and thus bringing ownership into the digital realm makes perfect sense. Um, it's just going to take some time to get it right. And it, that's not unlike anything. That's, that's par for the course. Music, we did it. Uh, unfortunately, movies were just repeating the same issues that we did with music. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm not saying NFTs are in that same boat, but nonetheless... It's just proof that it, it takes us a while to to chew and figure out how to properly implement something. Um, but at the yeah. same time, that's not to say that it's all junk now. That's just to say, be careful on how you view your ownership uh, because it's, I, I equate it to voodoo. You go and buy a movie on voodoo. Yes, you own that a little bit more than renting it on a service, but you're still very confined to the ecosystem of right. voodoo as such that you can only access that movie on this platform, this platform, this platform. It happens to be very widely supported, which is great, but don't be fooled into thinking that you own that. Like you just own a pass that says I'm allowed to access that so long as you're willing to host it on a server. Yeah. That's, that's the wild thing to me is it's, um, it's permission almost at this point, right? Because even the terms of service on a movie that you buy digitally right now, they can pull that rug out from under you. Like if that service goes away, you no longer have access to that movie, right? Like, so there, there's still some things in just like the current ecosystem of buying and renting, um, you know, digital content that 
the NFT space or this, you know, this proof of ownership thing is actually going to improve a lot, I think, because we we haven't felt it yet, but but we can, right? Like if if Voodoo yeah. goes under goes out of business, luckily there's movies anywhere, right? That allows you to that compiles all that stuff together and, and allows you to kind of see all that stuff. But if Voodoo were to go under, you would lose access to all that stuff, potentially, right? Like you could lose access to all that yeah. on an ecosystem that you purchased in. And and that's yep. wild and, to and, me. And versus let's take music, for example, you can buy an MP3 album on Amazon, download that MP3, and now you have a much harder ownership yeah. of that music digitally. It's it's obviously not unique. It copy paste the file and it still works all the same. Um, but you're no longer dependent upon some web server somewhere hosting that content for you to access it. Um and so that's a key differentiator. So straight to uh, Fancy Rhino's thoughts now um, about NFTs and video games. We made it. It only took us an um, hour, but we got here. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> All right. Uh, nine people. I mean, everybody sticks around, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so all of those faults and blunders and fall, uh, you know, problems of NFTs we discussed does not mean we can't get a taste of the vision does not mean we can't have fun with them right now today after the show. Don't leave and go do it now. Cause you know, we're here. Right. Um, <laughs> but the, so the preface of all that was just to say, don't be fooled into thinking you have harder ownership than you actually have. Um, however, NFTs and video games, are already today, like I said, very powerful. Um, and I'll get into some examples of ways you can actually use it right now, but you know, to, to ease ourselves into the pool, I mean, picture, uh, world of Warcraft or any game where you have an avatar, um, and you've spent a lot of time leveling up that avatar or even go even more granular. You got this super, Rare, according to the game, rare weapon or, and obviously that rarity is determined by the game as to how many of these are available in the world or whatever. Um, and now bringing those in as NFTs, which again, simply just means a certificate. This isn't super magic or anything. You just have, you now have a wallet that says, Hey, I own this magic ax. Um, and now that's proof of ownership and proof of its rarity. And now I can digitally commerce. If I want to sell that to Jameson or somebody, I can, I can actually transfer it. And I mean, these things exist today, but the way they exist today is you get paid in in-game currency, which is only valuable in the game. So as we start to blend the worlds now, you're going to do all the same exact things you've ever done in gaming. Um, but now you're expanding to, instead of getting in-game currency, which only has value in the game, you're getting an in-game currency, which because of the blockchain economics can be pulled out of the game and gone and transferred to some other currency cashed out entirely to fiat money. Um, whatever you want. And so now it kind of gives you that higher level of ownership and value to what you're doing in the game. 
Um, <clears throat> so at a very high level, that's kind of what I what I see NFTs doing for gaming is basically uh, bringing an economy, a real tangible economy to everything we've always been doing in games. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of ways, we're kind of there. Um, so for some of the examples, the a really big one is Axie Infinity. <laughs> um, and in Axie Infinity, it's basically like, don't expect any of these games to be jaw dropping. Amazing. Like, you know, we're not there yet. And that's kind of a good thing. And also a telling thing of how far we have to go that a lot of these games end up being kind of boring and mm. grindy. Um, and that's just because that's all we know. Like microtransaction games in any app store are super shallow. I mean, I'm generalizing, but super shallow and super grindy. Um, they're, they're built to, so to get money from you. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and they're built uh, like, again, if I could continue potentially unfair generalizations, they're built to, to pull money into the developer studio's pocket by making you grind for that next level or whatever. So obviously as we transition into NFTs in a, in a crypto based gaming world, that's all we know how to build. And we're like, I'm not saying that's all we'll ever build because now uh, there's less pressure on the development studio to, to bring in as many microtransactions to them because they're a participant on the blockchain. They don't own the coins that are on the blockchain. Um, <clears throat> it's not in and out of their coffers, which is a great thing. You know, now when we want to talk about indie games, like an indie game can bootstrap onto a blockchain network and they don't have to worry a thing about the economy of their game. They can just tap into an existing coin or token they can easily create their own token. So now going a little bit back to SHIB on Ethereum, they could create their own token fairly easily. They don't have to get all super in-depth into creating the Ethereum equivalent value network. They can just latch onto it, and now they can build their game, build whatever they want, and they can also integrate an economy uh, that just serves to interest the players and bring players into the game. Um, <clears throat> so Axie Infinity might be one of the biggest um crypto games right now there it's are the most a notable few of them crypto yeah most notable um there's a ton in development uh, which is also I, I i can't not sound like a total shill on the future of crypto gaming just <laughs> given how how basic the current ecosystem is that's not a that's not shade that's just what it is um, and how much triple a talent is flocking into this space. I mean, in the chat earlier, um, we mentioned, uh, we mentioned Ubisoft, Ubisoft, Activision, um, they're going all Atari is Atari is super going all in Atari's making their own coin. Um, they are, you know, so, and not just studio names, uh, developers. And when you see a project, big time is a project that, and again, none of this is go jump in and give them all your money, but these are things to go look up. Big time is a project that has pulled in. Uh, now I'm going to forget the, the developers, but there's like some really big um, 
Activision, I probably not Bungie, but you know, it, it's, it's up there. Um, Fortnite, I think there's a, someone from Fortnite involved. And when you see, when you see a project that has names, you know, people from studios, you know, and lifetime, lifelong, uh, crypto advocates mm. coming together that's super potent. Yeah. Um, because I mean, that's, that's legit. Those are professionals all around and it's combining those two. So anyways, Axie infinity is as if Pokemon and hearthstone had a baby, uh, and it's still a baby. And so, (laughs) and so, so you, you look at it and you're like, Oh, this thing's adorable. Like you look just like your parents. Uh, but you're not ready to run the company yet, but you are trying to. Um, <clears throat> and that's not to say it's not fun. Um, but it's just young, it definitely, right? Yeah, it's just it's just young. That's all there is to it. And you, it has so much potential. Uh, so backing up, what is Axie Infinity? You basically buy NFTs, which are these little Axie characters. There is a rarity built into the character based on its attributes. Um, you know, all common stuff that we're all familiar with. Well, and to be clear, and this NFT a is a character, right? Like you're you're buying yes. you're buying an, a a unique a, a character that's a unique set of skills, right? And it has a rarity assigned to it. has has actual in game skills associated with it. But you're buying this little guy, right? Like a Pokemon, like you're talking about. And then you're yeah. utilizing that in game, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and each character comes with uh, now tying in some hearthstone elements. Each character comes with a set of four cards, I believe. Um, and those play just like you, you've experienced in hearthstone. They oh. have an attack and a defense and a special power. Um, and so you build a squad of these, uh, of these axes and you start with a minimum squad of three, uh, and then you can build out larger squads and you go battle uh, another squad, whether it's AI controlled or whether you go into the battle arena and you take on other players. Um, and then just through that grinding, you earn um, the game has two cryptocurrencies tied to it SLP, which stands for Smooth Love Potion, and AXS. Um, those are the two cryptocurrencies tied to it. SLP is the much lower value. It's like seven cents per SLP. And you earn that by winning battles and leveling up. And they called it smooth love potion because the main function of it in the game uh, is you spend it to have your axes mate and create a new axie. Um, And there's a whole game monomics behind breeding. Um, So... Now you have this value. You're le- you can level up your Axie. You can go to the marketplace and list it as leveled up. If you never used it for breeding, it has a higher value because there's like a limit to six breeds, I think, um, per Axie. So there's a generational value to it. Um, and then there's a whole very Ponzi-esque scheme. I don't mean that in a bad way, just in a gamification way of ways to play the game. So obviously just straight up get in there, battle, earn SLP. Um, You can then take it to the next level and try to do some breeding. The breeding randomizes the results based on the parents. Um, And you could get a really rare 
uh, offspring, which you could then use in your, you could then put it in your team, or you could just go straight sell it. Um, or you could even, there's a scholarship program where if, if you want to put your Axie up for scholarship, which is to say, so somebody doesn't want to put down all the money that's required to buy their first three Axies, they could get into it for free and be on scholarship to one of your Axies and anything they win, I think they keep 60% of the proceeds and you get 40%. And so then there's your multi-level marketing. so cool. <laughs> to it. I like that a lot. Uh, but it's, 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 again, not in a bad way. It's just in a gamification way. Um, that, that is so like the, a I, great way to, to bring in new players. It's such a cool method. I like it. Yeah. Um, so let me back up uh, before we keep doing any Axie stuff. Uh, so... Fancy Rhino said, how does that translate to sustainability maintaining a single title with NFTs? I believe the NFTs would lose their value entirely if a title no longer maintains a player presence or constant development. Yes. Um, so that is definitely true. Uh, I mean, all of these things are dependent upon the market value and, you know, people being in the game. Um, and so I think maybe some of my perspective and validity to your question is, I don't expect all games to go this way. Um, oh yeah, no, that, but, that's definitely you know, not happening. <laughs> you're, but like games that were designed for open world enjoyment, um, your GTAs, your World of Warcrafts, things that you've already, I have already willingly plunked down uh, more cash than I want to admit on camera um, <laughs> to their in-game economics. Um, those are the kind of games that we'll, we'll see continue to adopt into this space. Um, <clears throat> but it's true that, I mean, there is a calculus that's going on in your mind as far as investing into the game. Uh, you know, that's kind of going back to Axie a little bit is this isn't cheap to get into the whole, uh, so straight up. When I got into Axie, so I played Axie for about a month, month and a half. Um, and honestly, playing it was the aha moment. Like playing it, all of a sudden I was like, oh man, now I get it. Um, that's not to say you need to have that too, but but it was not a cheap uh, entry. I mean, it was at the time, and I haven't looked at the marketplace recently, but the floor price for an Axie to get in, so your basic Axie, was around $110 per Axie, and you need yeah. to get three of them. I'm hearing 500, five to 600 is kind of your entry point right now for a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you straight up front have to picture five, $600 to get into this game. Now, obviously, that sounds insane. Slap you in the face. Get out of my life. I don't want to hear from you again. Right. <laughs> um, but, and again, this is also kind of to Fancy Rhino's point of, um, <clears throat> there is an exit strategy so long as everything is continuing to maintain value. Um, and so I got out and when I got out, I actually got out at a $50 profit from what I went into it for. And that was just from some leveling up as well as the market went up a little bit. So that floor price came up a little bit and I was able to sell at a higher price than what I bought in for cannot count on that it can obviously flip the other direction so it'll be interesting how that plays out because obviously now that brings a little more uh maybe unwanted 
calculation that you have to do just to play a game. Um, but it also adds value to a giveaway where it's like, Hey, we're giving away an Axie character. If this was just today's run of the mill mobile game, I'm like, well, I don't, why, why do I want an Axie character? But now it's like, Oh, that's, that's valuable. I, I'll get in that contest or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so, but it will be interesting when one of these, the user base dies down, therefore the market starts to plummet and it'll be interesting when or how that happens because now when you bring in an economy a real economy into the game you're also you also have people buying and selling axs uh, i don't think it's listed in coinbase but a a platform like coinbase trading it again now tying it all the way back to that stock reference people are buying and selling it for stocks which keeps the value up um and so it's just this this whole thing you know, multi-angle uh, thing that starts to self-perpetuate value. So honestly, I don't know what'll happen when one of these games dries up on its user base. Obviously, there seems to be an obvious conclusion. Eventually, it dies down. But when something like Axies, as big as it is, where whales are moving in investments on it, um, it's hard to say when. And Man. then to to make matters more complicated... Places, less developed places like the Philippines, um, I don't know if it's still true today, but it kind of comes and goes depending on the price of AXS and SLP. Um, but people are full on supplementing or 100% replacing their income by playing yeah. this game. Uh, and in, in, to me, that's kind of mind blowing in the great equalizer of what games are and what this digital world is that. You know, obviously it's not doing that in the U.S., but in a in a less developed part of the world that someone can participate in yeah. the same economy around the world like that. That's well, that's something to sit on. And, that's that, and so, so that that's a really interesting part of this, because the thing yeah. that, that people don't often think about here in the U.S., I think, is that mm -hmm. crypto is a, is a, it's a world worldwide thing. Right. And you bring up the Philippines, which is my favorite place to bring up, because I think it's about a dollar's worth about nine times what it is here, there, right? So you give a, a $1 yeah. US to someone in the Philippines, they can, it's worth about $9, right? That, that is a massive difference, right? And then yeah. now we're talking about people that we're in the same ecosystem when it comes to the game or the blockchain or crypto, where, you know, yeah. they, they mine one or they buy one, whatever, now, but the perceived value, or actually it's, it's an objective value, right? Like it's, they're, they're able to get nine times the value out of that thing than we are here. Right. So, so yeah. there's a lot to talk about as far as like global economy, things like that. But just at a very basic level, this is allowing people in poorer countries to spend time and then come out with something that's much more valuable, even than us here the same time we spend is, is exponentially less valuable, right? It, it's, it's kind of yeah. a weird thing that, that I wonder is pushing us toward a more world-based economy because this thing is accessible everywhere. Yeah. Which is important to back up and note that's a driving motivator of cryptocurrencies since Satoshi created Bitcoin. Right. Um, it was this crypto could be the great equalizer of economies um, and it's, 
and any well-developed blockchain, which is pretty much all of them that are out there, again, we're talking foundational blockchains, yeah. Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, um, are relatively regulation resistant that they're designed. And again, now that's going back to that security aspect and whatnot, they're designed that a government can't get their hands on it and bend it and manipulate it to whatever their purposes are. Um, and now we're fast forward 10, 11, 12 years, and we're starting to see glimpses of that actually play out, at least in this example with, with the, with the game in the Philippines. Um, and now it's anybody's guess where things go from here. And it's, it's one of my favorite things to just sit with and ponder. Um, obviously it's hard to imagine that we're, you know, actually, you know, on some complete anarchistic path of just everybody for themselves. <laughs> like, but governments, I mean, governments will find a way to protect themselves uh, and sometimes that, I mean, that that's necessary to an extent um, to help kind of rein in, you know, like I was saying, like the extreme uh, proliferation of, you know, all of these meme coins and shit coins that are out there, you know, as governments get involved, which they are, um, there are several countries now that have declared a certain crypto as their official currency of the country. So it's happening. Oh, um, wow. I just... There's, the, I don't know, it's, you know, it's the wild west of sorts, but it's just unfolding on a global scale. Yeah. Uh, it's way so, bigger than we normally are, see, are thinking about, right? Like it, it is a global yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, catching up here on some of the other questions I was driving, but I had a question. If a blockchain system is designed to last for 25 years, what happens when 25 years is over? Um, perfect hmm. question because that is very important. Um, because all of these, all of these, nope, not all the chains. These, you got your Shibs and your Dogecoins that are just effing it up for everybody. <laughs> but those are those essentially are tokens, pure, though, right? Like those, they're they're not. Yeah, they're tokens. They're tokens, but I mean the value is the same. Um, uh, those are are inflationary coins. So Dogecoin, Shib. Those will never stop, uh, which is which is what's really interesting about how how I'm interested to see how uh, Shiba Inu pivots to a utility uh, when they're based on tokenomics of this coin will never run out. We will keep making more of them. Therefore, this is a purely inflationary asset and the value will inevitably over time always go down. Um, that's not to say it won't go up at times. That's market supply and demand. But in the case of uh, Bitcoin and other um, deflationary assets that are, are set to have a finite limit, um, two things happen. Uh, one is in the case of Bitcoin, we hit the very end. Um, now blocks, so maybe I wasn't fully, uh, maybe I wasn't using proper logic to say there was a finite set of blocks. There's a finite set of blocks with value attached to them. Once we continue going after we get past all of the release of the Bitcoins, more blocks will continue to be made. And now it pivots to the validators, the nodes that are confirming the consensus. Um, that all still happens, but it, it can happen on a much less powerful machine because now, um, you know, we're not trying to limit 
the supply of the currency, that's all puffed out. Um, <clears throat> so a much less powerful machine can run as a node uh, operator, be the gossip, a gossip node on the network, um, and there will still be transaction fees between people. And then those transaction fees get split up amongst the people that are providing that consensus. So there's still incentive to keep people validating on the network. Um, transaction fees are, st are a thing today. They will still be a thing then. They're a thing in every currency. Um, and then those fees just go to the people that are still providing uh, that service. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, and the second thing is now you have a finite set. And if, if, val if you want to try to uh, keep, keep value increased, um, there's a burn rate. And so that was for Google fooing the London fork, um, is what recently happened in August on Ethereum and the, the very high level, there's a lot more detail to it. Uh, but it was a burning event where now, um, this, it, a set amount of Ethereum is burned in every transaction and burned means it's sent off to, to no man's land and is taken out of circulation. And so that makes it a deflationary asset. Um, and that also helps balance price pressure by taking it out of uh, circulation at a controlled rate. Um, and that also accounts for inflation of the price and that helps put pressure on it. Um, <clears throat> so, those two things will always happen. The actual economics of them, uh, I don't fully understand, um, or at least of the of the burn process. But that is definitely the London fork, and its purpose uh, would certainly start to to get you down that rabbit hole. Um, <clears throat> what else do we have? The company has just started offering NFTs. A little Bitcoin book. Why Bitcoin matters for your freedom. I have not heard of that, but that uh, I have not either. I want to check that out. Interesting. Yeah. So, so after it's done though, it's, it's built on transaction fees. Like, like the, yes. the nice, the nice yeah, thing so about when, you know, it's, it gets to the point where once we've uncovered all of the Bitcoin, for example, it, it, the economy is going to change a bit, right? Because now it's a fine, not only is it a finite resource at that point, but it also, Wait, wait, is Bitcoin one that burns one or is that just Ethereum? Or uh, right now, just Ethereum as far as I know. Um, I honestly don't have don't know exactly if Bitcoin will is or will be burning. Um, but I it seems like it's a in the economics of which I don't fully understand, but it seems like it could be a lever that could be pulled, you know, at any gotcha. point. So uh, oh, yeah, you definitely got to thank you in the chat from Hellforge. This is this is a lot of information, right? Like there, there, there's a there's definitely a lot being talked about, and I feel like we're gonna need to do another episode in the future that that may, maybe we pick yeah. a game or two and talk specifically about them and how it works. Um, because like yeah, yeah one, absolutely. One one thing I wanted to mention, I want I want to step back just a little bit and talk about NFTs in general and, and my understanding of them, which is very minimal, but. To me, there's two types of NFTs, right? There's, there is the, the type that you've been talking about, which is, Hey, you've, you've got this thing 
it is a specific type of thing. It's built to to be inside of this game, whatever that is, right? But there's there's right. either a a concrete version or a a well, I'm not sure what the right way to say this, but a um accumulation version, right? So so let's talk about like there, let me just talk about what where where my head is. So I'm someone who's entering the NFT market through an app called VV, right? And they have a they have a partnership with Disney. And so they're they're releasing two types of things. They're releasing collectibles and they're releasing comic books, right? And so what they're doing, let's say uh, a recent comic book that that released was the first appearance of Dr. Octopus. And what they've said is there's five types of this comic book. There's a common that's the basic version of the of the comic book with the cover that was shipped back in 1964, whatever that was. There's an uncommon version, which has a different cover. There's a rare, there's a super rare, there's a secret rare, right? There's five different types. And each of those has a number of them that are out there. So let's say there's 10,000 commons, 8,000 uncommons, so on up to say maybe 500 secret rares, right? This is a finite amount of things that are available to the public. And so me as a consumer, when I find out about this drop, I say, hey, I'm going to buy one of those. I want to buy one of those. I'm going to try to buy one of those. And there's, say, 50,000 total among the types. I'm saying I'm going to buy a blind box. I hope that I get one. And when I do and I open it, I get one of those five types. Right? So the the $7 that I spend now might be worth whatever a common is worth, whichever type that I get. And the ultra, the secret rares are, are selling for about a grand, which is wild to me because I could spend $7 and potentially turn it into a thousand dollars. This to me is opening a pack of baseball cards, right? Like that's, that's what this is to me is I'm, I'm buying a blind pack and I'm hoping that I get something super valuable. So that's, that's one type of NFT right in my, in my head is the, there's an amount of things, you know what the five or whatever options there are. And I'm going to get one of those things if I get one cool. And I can either buy a blind pack or on an aftermarket, I can say, hey, that person that bought one for $7 says, I want to sell this thing for $50 because I think it's worth that. You might be willing to spend that. You might not. It's just like any other, you know, economy as far as like value and perceived value, that kind of thing. And then there's the second type of NFT. And this is the one that I'm seeing the most of. And this is wild to me where let's say we see things like these, these apes or like people are building these you know, these contained <laughs> NFT systems. And the way this works is there's a there's a, a portrait, right? And then on top of that is a number of hats, earrings, uh, glasses, like all these different things that could be in that NFT. And when they're built, it like rolls dice. And it's like, hey, there's 10 attach points. This is gonna get this hat, it's gonna get these glasses or no glasses, it's gonna get this ring whatever those things are, but the NFT that you get is a combination of all the potential things that you could get. And the value of that thing is the culmination of the options that it randomly rolls for that NFT. And so that, to me, that's the two different types. And even just having those two different types is kind of wild to me, but is that, is that kind of like how you see it? Am I missing a a part of that? No, I mean, and then it, and then it kind of keeps, so that's, those are the, let's call those the collector type of types of NFTs. Um, because then there is more, uh, so to tie in above the universe here, um, talking about 
In the future, when augmented reality and neuro-based software NFTs will be the way you decorate your virtual spaces. Um, very much so. Um, that, you know, I mean, like we talked about NFTs being axes in game or they can be the art that in your virtual space you hang one of these board Ape Yacht Club uh, things that you you spent the floor price of a board Ape Yacht Club. I think the latest floor price price was like sixty ETH. Um, oh man, six zero ETH, and those are worth like four uh, grand each. Just, <laughs> I just, I mean, no six six zero. I mean, now you're up like five six hundred thousand. Yeah, so, yeah, that's uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, um, so, but you know, your house, maybe your virtual space has, has your board ape yacht club hanging up. Um, so, um, so now if this, uh, comes through here, like these are, the these are a couple, club. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, there are a couple, a couple NFTs I'm, I just, you know, experimented with jumped into for no good reason. Um, but actually the, the bottom two, so the bottom one is a mini puffed from Ghostbusters afterlife. Um, but these are exactly what you were referring to as far as the random generation. Um, oh, I can make them a little bigger. So that's my mini puff. Stay puffed? Um, <laughs> I love it. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, and one of the things you can see, um, is like he has a number. So he's mini puffed, uh, eight, number eight, seven, zero. So he is number eight seventy in the collection. Um, and an, and an artist created all of the aspects of him, um, his bubbly little jello arm, bubblegum arm, his bubble belly. Um, <laughs> he's laughing, I believe. Um, yeah, and so many different options, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. An, an artist, and even the background, it's orange. Orange was actually one of the more rare backgrounds in this collection. Um, an artist creates all of these assets. When it comes time to mint... Then these assets are generated randomly and everybody buys at the same price. So again, the pack of cards thing, uh, and then you get randomly assigned whatever random generation mini puffed you have. Um, and All right. keep talking. I'll be right back. I got to step away for just a second. Okay. It's, it's very interesting um, because uh, it's art for sure. It kind of gets into that whole, um, questionable ownership or, uh, you know, I don't actually own these files. Like I didn't get sent the file of the mini puffed, um, but there's utility to it. So the, the Doge fight club project that I have there, that is intended according to the project that is intended to be a game where this Doge fight club will become my character in the game. Um, this was my first NFT you know, I have no intentions of sticking around to see if that happens. This was just to test the waters and see what happens. If it blows up, then, you know, I'll just probably sell it and move on because the game isn't a thing yet. Um, that's in development. And these things are popping out 10, 15, 20 projects a day. Who knows if it's actually going to become a thing. Uh, <clears throat> the mini puffed on the other hand, that was actually fully backed and sponsored by uh, Sony Pictures, and the the creator of Ghostbusters was was fully all in on this this NFT project. Uh, back when they were minting these mini puffs, 
you could go to the Ghostbusters website and there would be a button that said buy tickets or buy an NFT. And this was, this came from that. Um, <clears throat> and this is done, I don't, we'll call it more organically. This is a real, we'll say real NFT and I'll explain that in a second, but they're also building utility into these mini puffs in that the director of Ghostbusters, of Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, forget his name now, but the same director as the originals, um, he's going to hold master classes of storytelling and videography. And this NFT is your entrance pass to those master classes. Um, and so that's utility built into the NFT. So now we're kind of blending ticket event, event ticketing uh, with an NFT, except in this case, it's a cute, it's a super cute little NFT. It's not just a Ticketmaster ticket. Um, but they have a series of like six master classes that this NFT is actually the ticket for, uh, taught by the Ghostbusters director. Um, so when I say real NFT, I'm backing up to Vivi and I feel like Vivi is the voodoo equivalent, um, because those are technically real NFTs, uh, but they only exist the same way a movie you buy on voodoo exists in that right. you couldn't right now transfer your like those pictures I was showing those were in my MetaMask wallet. Um, so that's something to look up. Um, but that's a very common wallet that all kinds of, uh, crypto chains connect to. And it's where you can hold all kinds of different things. You couldn't transfer an NFT from Vivi to your MetaMask wallet, uh, which would then mean from your MetaMask wallet, you could send it to anybody to anywhere um, everything right now is, is in VV right. and locked in that yep. ecosystem. That was probably given the size of the partnerships that VV has. I mean, it's amazing. Marvel, uh, Walt Disney, Pokemon um, is apparently coming that too. Stuff. So, <laughs> oh man. So yeah, like some of that ecosystem was probably to help get them on board. Um, I didn't confirm it yet, but I heard, I saw in one of the, one of the discord groups that, People were talking about that Vivi has plans to integrate onto an actual blockchain, and at which point you could then send your NFT elsewhere. Uh, one one place you might want to send it is OpenSea, uh, mm-hmm. is one of the major marketplaces for NFTs. So you could potentially take your uh, comic book that's worth a thousand dollars on Vivi, but now you expose it to the collector audience that's on OpenSea. And potentially, uh, it could blow it up, could get even more in value <laughs> yeah. because now you're, now you're dealing with the collector market, not just the comic book market that would be in VV. Um, so, uh, but I don't know, I guess I digress. There's, there's no, all kinds of different ways NFTs are utility. It's crazy because like we're, we're starting to see a whole lot of NFT adjacent things that there's the kind of way I think about it because I, I think it about like, for instance, um, so one NFT that I bought is for uh, the, the matrix movies just released a series. And, uh, that one's done through nifties.com and they had a hundred thousand of these available and you, you basically buy an avatar, right? And I was lucky enough that I got into the queue. I bought two of them and I ended up with a male and a female and when I opened them, it was a set of like, you know, randomly assigned uh, assets to each of these, right? It had this hat, it was male or female, you know, all that stuff. So it made this, it, it built into this NFT, which is cool. And it's, it's 
uh, movie release adjacent. I can see a whole lot of this coming for games that are coming out, anything in the world, right? Yep. Like like yeah. AMC theaters is like, hey, I'm an AMC stockholder. They've got an NFC or an NFT that's coming out for that. But the, the reason I mentioned this specifically is because I think anything has the ability to launch an adjacent NFT with it that has value based on the popularity of the thing that it's attached to, right? So it doesn't have to be like yeah. inside the game. It could be adjacent to the game. And the cool thing that yeah. the, the Matrix ones are doing is with each NFT, there's going to come a point where you can choose either to take the blue pill or the red pill, and that NFT in, evolves into something else. So so it like opens up that, that ecosystem a lot more because you're going to have the ones that never evolved. You're going to have the ones that did. Did they evolve into something super rare? There's the chance that like, hey, if someone buys my base NFT from me, there's the potential of opening that pack, you know, and now it becomes something that's super valuable. So like the whole collectible aspect of it is just mind blowing to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and a lot, exactly along those lines, the other NFT I have is this ghost trap. Um, <clears throat> this was, I don't know, perhaps I regret it a little bit just because I haven't been good with keeping up with it, but nonetheless, it's straight to that point is the red pill, blue pill. Obviously, they did this NFT uh, collection uh, around um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. It was timed up right at the launch of the movie. It was exactly adjacent to that. Build some hype in the crypto community. Um, but they also did a limited run of 1,000 of these ghost, uh, ghost traps. <clears throat> and they were free free because you still had to pay the gas fees to mint it, which we should talk about that. Um, yeah, <laughs> but nonetheless, it, they didn't get any money from them and they released a thousand of them. So the whole purpose of them was to build this tiny little game into the NFT, kind of like the red pill, blue pill, where they were minting 500 of the total collection. They were going to mint an extra 500, uh, mini puffs that were, um, mob members. And so these were much more chaotic artwork, uh, more chaotic characters, and the whole game of it was these are little chaos creators that are going to digitally hop around everybody's wallets that owns, uh, that minted a uh, mini puffed. And if you go to the website and you log in with your wallet and they confirm that you own a ghost trap and they confirm that you own a mini puffed, um, randomly 24 seven for about 40 minutes at a time, one of these mob members may show up as being in your wallet and then you trigger the ghost trap and then now what? ownership transfers to you what? of this little, this little mob member. <laughs> so you have to like keep an eye on it in order to, to find that moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is where, oh. which is where I suck because I'm not keeping a close eye. Oh my gosh. It. I would sit and watch um, it all the time like that. That would consume me. I know. <laughs> Uh, I've tried setting up, um, I've tried setting up some, um, I forget the name of it now, but there's a ton of different services. Like, I mean, it's, it's one of the ways I tried to get a hold of a PlayStation five back, uh, last year. You can set up bots to watch a web page and let you know when it changes. Um, I couldn't do it on the wallet web page cause I have to sign to sign into the, and it every now and then signs you out. But because the blockchain is public and my wallet is technically public. Um, <clears throat> I set up 
on my wallet addresses page on the blockchain when a transaction. So this, this transaction is basically the mob member temporarily is shifted into my wallet. Part of the contract is it can be pulled back. Um, so I set up a monitor to say, Hey, let me know if the blockchain says something showed up in my wallet. Um, uh, and, but that's not working out. Um, wait, why, why is it so working out? I just out? need to go to the website more often. What's that? Why, why isn't that part? That seems like that's something that would work out. Uh, it's more of the mechanics of the distill.io, I think is what it's called. It's more of the mechanics of how it's monitoring. Oh, um, okay. And like needing to have the computer on, the audio turned up so I hear the alert or whatever. Um, and somebody claimed that was how they caught theirs was through one of these. I'm still not 100% sure uh, if that's accurate. Um, but nonetheless, I have not caught one. There are still about 300 of them floating around, so maybe I'll step up my game, but it's still a fun little, it's a fun little game. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, kind of built into that, but, um, the gas fees did make me want to bring up, uh, the point that was, was referenced on Facebook as far as sustainability, mm. um, and anybody just getting into NFTs, just getting into crypto right off the bat or within the first few searches, you'll see uh, how terrible for the environment NFTs are as well as Ethereum or Bitcoin. Um, and then how bad Ethereum and Bitcoin are kind of um, somewhat unfairly propagates to crypto at large. Now, it's only somewhat unfair because Bitcoin and Ethereum are a lot of uh, crypto at large um, crypto currently has, I think around a two to $2.4 trillion market cap of all coins in existence. About half of that is Bitcoin and about another of, of that remaining chunk, about 75% is probably Ethereum. So it's not completely unwarranted to say that, you know, it's crypto at large, but yeah. Um, it is, I mean, incredibly real. Like, I mean, the power of the power consumption of miners on Bitcoin and Ethereum is astronomical. Um, and NFTs in particular are very power, are very, uh, consume a lot of power to mint an NFT. Um, but the one point that I want is, and so that's, it's not anything to do with NFTs at, in general. It has everything to do with the fact that Primarily all NFTs live on Ethereum right now. Mm -hmm. There are other very strong networks, uh, but still up and coming, but definitely sustainable. Um, Solana and Avalanche um, and a couple others, Binance Smart Chain. These are not proof of work algorithms, which means they don't consume obscene amounts of energy to keep themselves uh, running. <clears throat> and minting coins. And there are NFT projects that are either migrating from Ethereum onto these networks um, or already building from the ground up on these networks. Solana is really exploding lately with a lot of that uh, and games as well. Polygon, well, Polygon doesn't quite count because Polygon is a token that runs on Ethereum. So you still have that linkage to Ethereum. Um, but the point of it is, is absolutely NFTs on Ethereum are incredibly uh, power consumption and they use an obscene amount of power. 
Um, and the reason they do is going all the way back to the very beginning when we talked about packing those transactions in anything NFT related requires a much larger chunk of that box just because of all the data involved with the ownership or the certificate or whatever. Um, and anything that consumes more of that box is going to in turn require more energy than a smaller transaction because that's not spread across more transactions. Um, so that is basically all to say, um, there are sustainable ways to get into crypto via these other networks that are very strong, very stable, um, and projects are generally flocking to because at the end of the day, Ethereum gas fees are obscene. Um, <clears throat> and again, they're obscene because 17 transactions per second is your cap and you have billions of dollars trying to move in assets one way or another um, on the network. And so the only way to differentiate your transaction from my transaction is to offer more money to get that transaction serviced. And thus at very busy times on the network, a gas war can break out. And it is not an exaggeration to say that during a gas war, one transaction could cost upwards of four or $500. Um, Jesus. So like sending $20, <laughs> sending $20 could cost you $400. Now you should never send anything on those gas fees. I mean, unless you're sending a million dollars, like, I mean, right, right, that right. is, that is way, way too high, but still the average gas price, the cheapest transaction you can do is just a simple, I'm paying you this, this coin, this money. You should always expect between 30 to $60 for that kind of transaction for anything that involves a smart contract. Um, you know, something in a game, transferring an asset into a game to buy an Axie and Axie infinity or something. Those are going to run pretty regularly 100 to $160 per transaction. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, the sustainability thing is a huge concern, but even aside from that, I don't, I don't understand why people are so married to Ethereum in light of all of these alternatives rising up like um, Avalanche to send stuff on Avalanche. I mean, it's like five cents and wicked fast. Um, so, I mean, it's just probably a, the process it's, of creation. I mean, longevity. Like I said, developers are. Right. Like, yeah, like new, yeah. like new I mean, people are like, which, which thing has shown some sustainability, you know? And like, people like to see that yeah. it has a history, you know, like all these new coins that are yeah. out and people are freaking out about those. They don't know how to deal with that, but you know, that Bitcoin obviously has been around forever. And then Ethereum is that, that next tier, right? We're like, they feel like there's a trust level there. So I get why people stick to those. Yeah. Um, and even developers, like, I mean, you could even start to think of the networks like a console and, you know, a self-feeding loop of yeah. why would I develop an application on Avalanche when most people are on Ethereum? Right. Um, so I want my app to be where people are. I want my game to be where people are. Um, but all these other networks are paying very close attention to that. And there's, uh, more Google things to look at, uh, Ethereum virtual machine, um, basically is just to say a lot of these other networks, Avalanche, Solana, um, Binance Smart Chain, they support an EVM, Ethereum Virtual Machine, which is to say developers could port their game or their app 
very easily to their network and it would run in a virtual machine environment type of situation. Um, and a lot of people are doing that. So there is a plan for Ethereum to go away from proof of work. It'll be a binary switch. Um, it's what, what you see out there as Ethereum 2.0. Yeah. When they get there, they literally flip a switch and all miners are dead and it goes to proof of stake, which is 99.9% more efficient. Um, but I'm of the minds that we don't need to, and we don't have the time to wait for that. So certainly the more important sustainability is to you, the more you just need to look into these other networks and find out what projects are on those networks. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're holding true to those ideals. Um, and benefit you're paying five cents to send something right. instead of 150 bucks. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of wild. So we've only got a few minutes left. Um, I, I want to set up some time for us to, I think what would be fun and cool is if maybe we do a whole episode about a particular game or two, like, like let's talk about Axie Infinity, what it means, how, like literally dig in and show people how you get into it, what, what the, even what the gameplay is like and why it matters and like how the NFTs are fully integrated. I think like we could do a whole episode talking about that kind of thing. So I think we should find some time to do that. Yeah. 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 I think so. Um, the other thing people can go look into that really, so like I said, playing Axie infinity was, was a huge aha moment for me. You don't need to spend any money to have that aha moment. Um, right now, obviously metaverse is just stratospheric, um, <laughs> in, in, in all things. And I'm absolutely saying that as the lowercase metaverse, um, not any uppercase company names. Um, <clears throat> Decentraland is one that you don't have to pay anything. You can go jump straight into it right now. Uh, it runs in the browser. The only thing you might have to do is set up a wallet to log in. So like set up MetaMask, but you do not have to put any money into the wallet. It's just the game obviously has economy in it. So that's the only reason why it needs to connect to a wallet. And then the really cool thing about a wallet like MetaMask or a browser-based wallet, that acts as your login, because again, that is a very unique identifier. Uh, and so there is no like any of these websites that are integrated to a, a wallet like MetaMask, you connect to the wallet, that's your login. Uh, you know, there's no password or anything. It's, it's, it's your unique ID um, and a handshake. I should say somebody can't just log in cause they have your unique, unique ID. There's a private key uh, that's stored on your machine that validates it, blah, blah, blah. So it, it's not as insecure as that sounded. Um, so setting up a MetaMask, super simple. The MetaMask website lays it all out. Do not put any money in it. You should not ever have to if you just want to get into Decentraland and walk around. Literally just walk around. Um, and that is the hottest available metaverse right now. Um, the Sandbox is another one that uh, that is super <sighs> exciting. Real estate buying in there is crazy. <laughs> yeah, real estate buying. At both of these, Decentraland and the Sandbox have huge companies piling in. Nike, all kinds of stuff, but the sandbox is still an alpha uh, invite only. The central land is available right now. And just walking around gives you such a better understanding of this future of metaverse and crypto. Um, I walked through somebody's property in Decentraland 
and they had a house, um, and there was a TV in the house, and it was connected to their literal YouTube channel. Um, so you could sit in their house and watch their YouTube channel. Um, there was a little like game console in the corner. And when you went over there, it linked and opened up their Instagram feed. Oh my um, gosh. And so just, <laughs> just seeing and touching these, these elements in there, uh, really starts to, to bring that to light, but, or don't try it. And absolutely on, on said future episode, we'll just walk around Decentraland together. <laughs> <laughs> So before before we do cut out, you have a YouTube channel that talks about this stuff. You want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah. So my brother and I run more, much more on the investment trading side of things. Um, we run a, a channel called Blockhead Traders. Um, traditionally, I mean, we're doing the same thing that it, like the purpose of the channel is not this do what we like get rich now. Like I mean, it's it's open information sharing. The purpose of the channel is to grow and learn together about trading and investment strategies and things like that in the stock market. Um, however, like I said, in the past two or three months, I've taken a very heavy crypto focus. And so we're in the middle of a series right now about what is crypto. Um, and so everything we've talked about here is covered in the series there to much more detail. Um, and we're three episodes we're two episodes through a, f a f potentially four episode uh, series um, and just walking through a lot of these things in more detail. So certainly by all means, um, blockhead traders, it's like I said, community of information is what we're, what we're going for and just being a community together. There's discord and whatnot. Um, but if all you care about is crypto, just follow along these, uh, the crypto series because it's a lot, a lot <laughs> of information. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Let's put a chat, a link to that in the discord, and then I'll put it in the show notes for the, the podcast and the YouTube version as well. I uh, want to make sure everybody knows about that, but man, we've, we've literally exactly hit time. So thank you well, look at that. so much for this. I <laughs> super appreciate it. Uh, well, like I said, we'll find yeah. some time cause I want to dig some more into like, I want to show people what, NFTs in gaming is already starting to look like, and I think we can build a whole episode just around that soon. And I think that'll be fun. Yeah, absolutely. There's all kinds of fun stuff we can do to get those hands on, show people what, cause it's, it's easy. It's hard to conceptualize. And then once you see it, you get yeah. it. Yep. Like, Even just me, like you've helped me a ton with learning how to mine and literally you've, you've showed me exactly what to do, which is what I need. But but on that side, like I, I, I grasp it more now. Right. And like the more that I start to learn, the more yeah. that I'm understanding and the more I'm seeing possibilities. And I, I think it's just a comfort level that people need to get to. And I think what, what you're doing is going to help provide that. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And the last, the last bit is just to recap, because this could be anybody's journey. I mean, everybody's journey is going to be different. You're going to go down the rabbit holes that are most interesting to you. The whole reason I have built this experience and knowledge was it all started literally not more than four or five months ago where up until then crypto was just the black box that it probably is to most people Yeah, where it was like, I had the bad experience with Bitcoin. And then ever since then, the back of my mind, it was just always, this is just going to fizzle out, blow up, go away. Um, and I was completely baffled why that was not happening. I was like, how is it not only not going away, but getting stronger? 
getting these stupid doge coins and like all this stuff how is this not blowing up um and blowing up in a bad way um and so finally i was like all right you know what uh, i'm missing something like i i can clearly see that i am not connecting two critical dots so let's just start and you know just piece by piece i mean it's not any stretch of the imagination to say it has been all five months of that have just been one rabbit hole after the other after the other and it's a journey and if you don't invest anything don't spend any money just getting the knowledge is well worth the ride yeah i love it man all right let's find some time to to talk more in the near future i appreciate you hanging out i'm gonna jump off, jump off and say my yeah. goodbyes and uh, we'll talk to you soon man sounds good later buddy Thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can join us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. Every Tuesday, I'll have a new podcast episode ready for you. Be sure to follow me on all of my social media using the links in the show notes and join the Dev Team Discord to be a part of the conversation anytime. We'll see you soon. <laughs>